Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amka na Unai. It's 7 o'clock Central African time. A very good morning to you and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. This is Channel Africa, the African Perspective, broadcasting to you live from Johannesburg in South Africa. We are online on www.channelafrica.co.za on Channel 802 on the DSTV Audio Poké. I'm Teddy Sibia, driving the show with me this morning as Anne Musa and Tabiso Lihoko. Top stories on Africa Rise and Shine at this hour. Livelihoods of more than 100 Sudanese journalists are said to become the latest casualties of the COVID-19 pandemic. South Africa's president expected to update the nation soon on whether the country may move to lower alert level of lockdown. In economics, the West African nation's statistics office says Ghana's consumer price inflation rose to 11.4% year-on-year in July from 11 2% the previous month. But first, here are the news with Anne Musa. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Moussa. Mozambique's government has confirmed that the ammonium nitrate, which caused a huge deadly explosion in Lebanon earlier this month, was on its way to Mozambique. The Deputy Justice Minister, however, denies that anyone in Mozambique was responsible for the explosion. The ship was destined for Beira. The document acknowledging receipt of cargo lists the customer as the International Bank of Mozambique, acting on behalf of a small Mozambique firm specializing in the manufacture of commercial explosives. Earlier this month, tons of ammonium nitrate stored unsafely in a port warehouse detonated in Beirut, killing more than 200 people. South Africa's breached the 11,000 mark in deaths related to COVID-19. They stand at 11,010 after 259 more people died since the last report. Meanwhile, the number of infections in the country has increased by 2,810 in the last 24-hour cycle, bringing the cumulative number of infections to 568,919. Zoleka Kodashe reports. Gauteng recorded the highest number of fatalities at 108, followed by Guazunadal with 74, the Eastern Cape 46 and the Western Cape 31. The Western Cape still accounts for the highest number of fatalities, with a total of 3,485, followed by Gauteng with 2,761, the Eastern Cape with 2,332, and Guazunadal with 1,524. Meanwhile, Gauteng, which is the epicenter of the pandemic in the country, nears the 200,000 infections mark, recording a total of 194,685 cases. Officials in Germany have retracted a statement that claimed a vaccine to combat COVID-19 would be ready by September. The country's public health agency now says it does not expect a vaccine to be available by then. The agency says the document, which has now been removed from the Robert Koch Institute's website, was an out-of-date version of a document being worked on by the agency. As the race continues to find a vaccine for the infection caused by the coronavirus, Germany has said it has registered a vaccine to be used on its population. More than 100 possible vaccines are being developed around the world, with at least four in the final phase of human trials. 
A British charity says there's evidence to suggest that the number of civilians harmed in conflicts around the world has fallen during the coronavirus pandemic. The Charity Action on Armed Violence collated reports of incidents in which people were killed or wounded in some of the world's bloodiest and longest conflicts from between April and July this year. The BBC's Jonathan Bailey has the details. Comparing the data from last year, they found a sharp reduction in the number of civilians killed or injured by explosives along with evidence of fewer airstrikes and attacks using improvised explosive devices. Reports from Afghanistan, Yemen, Somalia and Pakistan all suggested a drop in violence. A court in Nigeria has fined three men 52,000 US dollars each for hijacking a ship in March and securing a ransom of 200,000 for the release of its crew. These are the first convicts in the West African state since a new anti-piracy law came into force last year. Nigeria has been under pressure from the shipping industry to curb piracy in the Gulf of Guinea. The International Maritime Bureau says it accounts for more than 80% of maritime kidnappings globally. The three who are believed to include two Nigerians and a foreign national pleaded guilty to two counts of piracy during their trial in the High Court in the oil hub of Port Harcourt. And it finally, in sports news, the South African Premiership blog leaders, Kaiser Chiefs, must start on the chance to go six points clear at the top of the APSA Premiership, resuming their league campaign with a one-all draw at home to Bidvitz at the Orlando Stadium. Chiefs look set to take a major step toward the title, but a late equaliser from Witz, Cole Alexander, put a dampen on the evening for the Soweto Giants, who are four points clear of nearest chasers, Mamelodi Sunday, but have played a game more. The teams will return to the APSA Premiership action this coming weekend with Chiefs away to Pulukwane City at Loftus Fersfeld Stadium on Saturday afternoon and Wits visiting Orlando Pirates at Ellis Park later the same day. That's the news headlines at 7.30 Central African Time. SABC News. Independent and impartial from an African perspective. More than 100 journalists in Sudan are said to lose their jobs by the end of this month. The journalists are employed by the Taiba Media Group, which is caught up in a row over payments made by the country's former leader, Omar al-Bashir. The decision to dismiss the journalist's comes eight months after the disempowerment committee tasked with the removal of employees and affiliates of the former regime decided to shut down Taiba Channel Television and Taiba Radio Station and seize its headquarters in Khartoum. To, to, further, to further discuss this plight of affected journalists, Samora Mangesi spoke to Omar Farouk, who is a member of the International Federation of Journalists, which has called on the Sudanese authorities to intervene on this matter. The situation in Sudan is uh, descending from bad to worst, and journalists in Sudan are being targeted. Just because the current administration uh, has perceived them or continues to perceive them being allied with the previous administration. You know, journalists are not politicians. And, 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 uh, and, uh, and uh, Sudan cannot be built on a retribution. These journalists are being sacked, previously arrested, media houses closed down, the, the headquarters of the Union of Journalists is crumbled down just because they are, you know, telling, uh, you know, some important critical issues 
which the current administration does not like. Or they are being targeted because uh, uh, they are being perceived that they were uh, sort of working with or um, cooperating with the previous administration. And we believe that the latter is the main cause. And this is totally unacceptable. Um, um, you know, Sudan belongs to all Sudanese, not only particular administration of, of the, the administration of the day or the government of the day, and particularly for media and journalists to become a battlefield is unacceptable. What has happened lately to sack a hundred, more than 100 journalists just because uh, they are perceived of being, uh, having connection with the biggest uh, administration is totally unacceptable. It is a, a, a gross violation of human and labor rights. It is an abuse of the rules of law in, in, in Sudan and the international uh, labor standards. And that is why the International Federation of Journalists and the Federation of African Journalists have both condemned and demanded uh, you know, the, 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 the sacred journalists to, to be uh, reinstated and, and, and their rights are respected. <clears throat> All right, and did the government-appointed administrator provide any reasons as to why a unilateral decision was taken on this matter without consulting the affected journalists? That, is the, that, is, that has been the case uh, since they assumed to the office. And uh, the main reason that they were doing this is just to, to undermine uh, uh, um, the independence of the media, the independence of the journalist union. As you know, and as I said now, uh, um, the, the headquarters of the journalists is the union is occupied by the police as we speak now. And that is why the oppression in Sudan has become, um, you know, multifaceted. And unfortunately, this situation needs to be addressed and, and, and the independence of the media, the independence of journalists and their rights, uh, including the, the work rights of journalists, need to be protected. Uh, uh, and that is why the IMJ and the FARG are calling for a concerted effort to tackle the situation. All right, and uh, you have called on the president of the Sovereignty Council and the Prime Minister to intervene. Are you optimistic that your call will be heeded? Well, uh, they are now in charge of the country, and they are bound by the Constitution of Sudan, and they are bound by the international and African obligations on Sudan in terms of human rights. What is happening is a gross human rights violation that we can never tolerate and never accept. And this is why we call this they are the leaders, they are held responsible, so that they, they are required that as, uh, uh, you know, duty bearers of, of Sudan, they are the current duty bearers of Sudan, they have to uphold the rule of law and, and, and make sure that uh, um, this current trend is of, of targeting journalists, targeting media houses, targeting the, the journalist union to stop. That was Omar Farouk, member of the International Federation of Journalists, talking to Samora Mangesim. South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa is expected to update the nation soon on whether the country may move to a alert-level lockdown. This as the nation's state of disaster legislation under which the country's lockdown has been premised expires on Saturday. On Tuesday, the National Coronavirus Command Council, which is headed by Ramaphosa, met. Expectations are high that with the nation rate with infection and fatalities going down, there may be good news for South Africans, Busi Chimombe reports. Health Minister William Kize earlier this week raised hopes that after over 140 days since Level 5 lockdown was declared, the nation may get reprieve 
from the current restrictions. We, we are preparing uh, submissions. Uh, we will need to make certain recommendations on easing some restrictions. And uh, the uh, Coronavirus Command Council has to take into account a lot of uh, uh, issues. And out of that, then the president is going to be able to give us a guide as to what uh, you know uh, we are able to do and so on. With the curve finally flattening and less people visiting hospitals, political analyst Ivo Sarakinski says government has more room to maneuver. Having lobbied hard, the alcohol industry may finally get to open its taps. Something along the lines of wine and beer rather than spirits at restaurants. And then you gradually start to open up. Or you could even go the whole, the whole hog with spirits as well. And you just put uh, restraints on, on restaurants so they can only sell alcohol between certain hours. There are no guarantees, however, with another political analyst, Lesiba Tefo, saying lifting the ban would be premature. I'm a village boy. I know what alcohol does in those communities, what it does to the people. Yes, there is a case in relation to job opportunities, money being raised, families losing income as far as that goes. But at one stage, unpopular decisions have to be taken. The alcohol ban and the night curfew reinstated on the 12th of July in response to the surge in infections have taken their toll on the restaurant industry with protests by owners and workers in the sector being held in recent weeks to implore government to change its mind. The tobacco industry too will be looking for a change of heart on the cigarettes ban as its efforts so far to overturn it in the courts are still pending. In terms of churches which were given the go-ahead to open up with a limited number of congregants under level 3 but did not open their doors. Sarakinsky feels the status quo should remain. The, the rituals are very close in terms of personal contact and there's lots of, of, of loud verbal singing in many of these cases. And it's exactly that which enables the... the the spread of, of COVID-19. He also doesn't believe that travel across provinces will happen just yet. So a lot of the tourism is for people to travel into far outlying areas. And that's communities that are the most vulnerable in terms of an absence of health infrastructure and resources. Therefore, says the worry is that with the easing of restrictions, some citizens have tended to behave as though the pandemic no longer exists. He has urged greater efforts with regards to messaging. The chiefs must play their part. They mustn't only talk to the president when they, they want benefits. Let the politicians, let the councillors go out there to convey the message. But the councillors themselves are organizing parties. And you cannot pontificate unless you have the moral authority to do so. The DA remains unequivocal about the need for the country to open up. There is a general agreement that a second wave is unlikely, but not impossible. Either way, we cannot hide from the virus forever while our lives and our livelihoods fall apart. We need to learn to live with it, since it's still to be with us for many months, perhaps even years. While we must all continue to wear our masks and adhere to safety protocols, we need to pick up the pieces and start to rebuild our shattered economy, which has lost over a trillion rand, and three million South Africans have been pushed into the unemployment queue due to this long 
irrational, secretive, brutally hard lockdown. And that was a report by Busi Chimombe. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. This may be a disease that is caused by a virus, but it is spread by human conduct and human behavior. We've now decided that the sale, the dispensing, and the distribution of alcohol will be suspended with immediate effect. There is now clear evidence that the resumption of alcohol sales has resulted in substantial pressure being put on hospitals, including trauma and ICU units, due to motor vehicle accidents, violence, as well as related trauma that are alcohol-induced. Channel Africa. For your latest update on COVID-19, that is the novel coronavirus, I am Hilda Kekera for Channel Africa in Livingston, Zambia. When someone coughs or sneezes, they spray small liquid droplets from their nose or mouth which may contain the virus. If you are too close, you can breathe in the droplets, including the COVID-19 virus if the person coughing has the disease. 17 minutes after 7 Central African time. If you just uh, tuned in, this is Africa Rise and Shine with myself, Teddy Sibiaracha on Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. The South African wine industry, including wine tourism, it is, is in a state of disaster. Vinpro, the country's wine industry body, has warned that urgent investment Intervention, rather, is needed or else uh, the one of the oldest agriculture industries will not survive. The sector is among the industries struggling to keep its doors open for business as the liquor ban imposed in the South African nation has caused uncertainty for many businesses. Communications Manager at Wines of South Africa, Marianne Carlio, joins us now on the line to talk us through more about the effects of this ban. Mariana, good morning and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning, Teddy, and thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Now, please take us through the process of getting wine on the shelves and how much has uh, been lost as a re- result of the liquor ban imposed in order to fight the COVID-19 pandemic. Teddy, when South Africa went into lockdown at the end of March, uh, our president imposed the initial part of the ban, which saw alcohol sales in South Africa banned as well as exports from South Africa. And the initial ban on local sales lasted all of nine weeks, which had a significant impact on our industry. For each week that we could not sell wine locally, we lost roughly 300 million rand. Add to that the five weeks of exports that we could not compete, which uh, added up to another 1.25 billion rand. Then came mid-August and uh, yet again, another ban on local sales was imposed within South Africa. We are now in week four of said local sales ban and another roughly billion rand has been lost uh, in this time. The industry simply cannot sustain this any longer 
add to this the fact that we estimate losses of about 100 million rand for each week that wine tourism is scuppered. It's, it's simply not sustainable anymore. And the situation has become so dire. While initially we understood the reasoning behind President Ramaphosa's concerns of freeing up beds uh, in our hospitals, the reality is that now um, we have had our peak. In most of our provinces, the infection rate has uh, started a downward trend. And we need to open this uh, up now. We need to open up local sales. We need to open up on um, on consumption within our restaurants because it is not only the South African wine industry that is suffering. It is our hospitality industry. It is our tourism industry. And through the value chain, even companies such as Consol, the guys who are making glass for not only the wine industry, but also the greater alcohol industry, they are all suffering. And this simply cannot continue any longer. Now, Venture has been in frequent deliberations with government since the lockdown has uh, was announced uh, rather in March 2020. What were some of the issues you discussed and was there a sign that a way forward will be mapped out? There were a number of issues discussed along the way. Um, some of the, the ways of opening up the alcohol sales uh, that were discussed were um, shortened hours of sales. Uh, when the ban was initially lifted, um, we could only purchase alcohol Monday through to Thursday from uh, 9 a.m. until 5 a.m. So shortened hours of sales. Um, limited number of uh, uh, alcohol uh, uh, or, or limited uh, uh, volumes of sales. So uh, really when you go to your, your local liquor store, you will only be allowed to, to purchase a certain amount of alcohol. Um, th- these kinds of things can definitely be put in place and uh, will hopefully be able to negate but there's also longer-term issues that need to be reviewed at this point in time. We recognize, especially as a wider alcohol industry, that uh, the misuse of alcohol is a problem here in South Africa. And we need to create, along with government, a social compact to ensure that our consumers, our South Africans, uh, use alcohol more responsibly, not just now, but going forward. Um, the issue of gender-based violence is a major uh, problem here in South Africa, and it is linked to alcohol misuse. Drinking and driving or drinking and walking is a big problem. Underage drinking is a problem, and of course, alcoholism is an issue here in South Africa. But Government needs to work alongside the alcohol industry now to create the social compact, to create programs that are meaningful, that will educate our consumers going forward to uh, to use alcohol more responsibly. And this will be one of the positive things that has come out of this coronavirus pandemic because it has forced us to review uh, the situation that we face ourselves uh, here in South Africa. Marina, the question of whether local liquor sales will be opened up when the current advanced alert level 3 is 
re-elevated from uh, 15 August onward will be a make or break decision for the wine industry. And why is this? Absolutely. Uh, we've lost too much. Uh, unfortunately, the reality is that um, thousands, tens of thousands of jobs have been lost already. And if this ban were to be continued beyond this point, uh, many, many more jobs and livelihoods will be lost. Um, the industry itself uh, employs roughly 290,000 people. The wider alcohol industry employs over a million people throughout its value chain. If this ban were to continue beyond the end of this week, we will see um, mass destruction of livelihoods. And this is simply at odds with the fact that the government wants to save lives for COVID-19. Uh, the, the, the fact is that it simply cannot continue any longer. We are one of only four countries in the world, including Sri Lanka, Eswatini and Lesotho, that is not allowing local sales in, uh, within its borders. Yet we are such a big producer of alcohol, and therein lies the issue that uh, sets us apart from the other three countries. Uh, we simply cannot continue. Enough is enough, and this ban has to be lifted now. Now, lastly, as Vinpro, you're of the view that there's no reason to keep the current ban on wines sales in place. What do you base uh, this belief on? Well, the reality is that the ban was put in place in order to free up trauma beds in our hospitals. The, the fact of the matter is that um, members of the South African Medical Research Council, um, politicians alike, and, and other advisors to the Corona Command Council have advised government to review and lift the ban at this stage. The peak has been reached in most of our uh, provinces and the infection rate is on a downward trajectory. So the, the issue of keeping beds open is no longer the case. Uh, most of our hospitals are um, at 70% or less of capacity. So there is space. And we understand that the concern is that alcohol uh, use leads to uh, trauma cases. We get that. But now the hospitals are in a position to deal with the trauma cases. And the reality is that uh, once you speak to the professionals uh, in the hospitals, they have not had to turn any COVID-19 patients away due to trauma-related incidents that are brought on by alcohol use. Marina, thank you so much for joining us this morning on Africa Rise and Shine. Thank you, Katie, for having me. That is Marina Carlo, Communications Manager at Wines of South Africa. Africa Rise and Shine. Africa Zorza. Africa Amuka na Unai. Twenty-seven minutes after seven Central African time. If you just joined us, a very good morning to you and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine with myself, Teddy Sibia. 
Practicing attorney Madimpe Mohausha has told the State Capture Commission of Inquiry that the passenger rail agency of South Africa's internal legal department was not part of the settlement agreement with CIA. The rail agency almost paid the company over 50 million rand in claims despite its legal team being against it. The State Capture Commission of Injury is investigating allegation of corruption and maladministration, Tepemokhoi reports. Attorney Madimpe Mohashwa has corroborated previous witness testimony. Mohashwa represented Prasa when the state-owned enterprise negotiated a settlement with a company called CIA in 2017. Prasa's head of legal, Martha Ngoi, and legal services general manager Fani Dingiswayo testified that Judge Tinsualo Makubele had motivated for the settlement despite their disapproval. It's also alleged that the judge had instructed Mohasha not to involve them in the settlement negotiations. Ngoye and Dingiswayo were allegedly sidelined by Makubele to push through the settlement which was later rescinded thanks to the Minister of Transport, Blade Nzimande. Prasa's lawyer, Madim Pimohasho, explains. I, I would accept that proposition, Chair, if he means it in a sense that perhaps the legal department was not aware yes. about, about what was happening, yes. about the settlements at that time. Yes. I don't have a problem with, yeah. with that proposition. Earlier, Commission Chair Justice Raymond Zondo said the Commission was considering issuing summons to witness who are required to testify. This following another last-minute application for a postponement, this time from the Minister of Public Enterprises, Pravin Gordon. Judge Sondo said he was unhappy with the reasons stated by Gordon for his failure to appear for his cross-examination by former SAS Commissioner Tom Moyani. Judge Raymond Zondo explains. All it says is that the minister is not available due to uh, cabinet commitments. Uh, there does not appear to be any information about why those commitments are more important than appearing before this commission. Chair, those were my instructions that the minister is not available due to the commitments that he had at the cabinet. Mere cabinet appointments on their own can't be more important than appearing before this commission. There would need to be something more than just mere cabinet commitments. This commission has got a very limited time to finish its work. The Commission has until March next year to probe allegations of state capture, corruption and maladministration. I am Tepo Mungwai in Johannesburg. It is now 7.30 Central African time. You are still tuned into Africa Rise and Channel with myself, Tilly Sibia. But for now, let us cross over to the news desk where Anne Musa is standing by to give us the news headlines. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Good morning, I'm Anne Musan. The headline, South Africa's Opposition Democratic Alliance says the government's continued failure to lead coordinated regional action against the rising security threat of an Islamic agency in Mozambique now poses a potential direct threat to South Africa's investments in its neighboring country. Mozambique's government has confirmed that the ammonium nitrate, which caused a huge deadly explosion in Lebanon earlier this month, was on its way to Mozambique. And a 
British charity says there's evidence to suggest that the number of civilians harmed in conflicts around the world has fallen during the coronavirus pandemic. Those are the stories making headlines. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorza. Africa, Amuka na Unai. South Africa's Explore Group founders of the Explore Data Science Academy has announced a series of major expansions that include new market opportunities, both local and internationally. For more on this, we are now joined on the line by Explore Group founder of the C and CEO, rather, Sean Dipnell. Sean Dipnell, good morning and welcome to Africa Rise and Shine. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yes. Now, before we talk about your growth plans, what is data science and why is it so important? Sure. Uh, I mean, data science is is basically solving problems with data. Um, so it's using you know modern technologies and algorithms to to solve problems. You now, why it's so important is there's you know a, a massive increase in the data being generated in the world today, uh, and and therefore more and bigger and more difficult problems can be solved uh, with the data scientist toolkit. Mm. Now, please tell us more about your international growth plans. Yeah, so we 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 obviously a South African business with uh, academies in Durban, Joburg, Cape Town. Um, we we've got a, a massive uh, piece of work uh, in Europe, uh, working with uh, uh, Thames Water, the biggest water utility in Europe, um, and we've got uh, a number of contracts in Norway and and the UK doing uh, sort of fintech consulting. So. I guess it's I guess it's taking the talent in South Africa and deploying it into Europe, uh, solving utility and uh, credit uh, uh, problems. Now, Mr. Sean, uh, what's your involvement uh, with uh, Thames Water in the UK? So we, we we're doing data science consulting uh, for them, um, uh, and I'll give you some examples. So, so Thames obviously distributes water uh, from source to household, and and there's many sort of big pops and small pops along the way. You know, we're doing a bunch of uh, work detecting leaks, predicting bursts, optimizing supply, supply and demand. It's basically artificially intelligent solutions to help them manage the flow of water from, from the source to the household. And do you perhaps see more expansion uh, possibilities in the uh, utility sector? Absolutely. So, so I think there's 16 water utilities in in the UK. Uh, there's hundreds across Europe, and I guess probably thousands uh, globally. Um, and what we do is applicable to to any and all of them, right? So, that's part A. Part B is we, you know, we're South African based, and our cost uh, uh, base is, is incredibly large. So we probably half the cost of of European providers because the rand is uh, uh, where it stands now. So yeah. So, so taking that. The, talent in South Africa and the cost advantage and delivering similar solutions across Europe and the world is, is certainly the plan. Mm. And now as Explore Group, do you perhaps have any plans uh, to expand your services to the rest of the African continent? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we, we, we currently, so I've been talking about our, our consulting and solutions business. We, we started out and our Flagship is really the learning business, uh, uh, which is the Data Science Academy. So, 
So last year or this year, January, we, we started offering our courses online. Um, so anybody can, can learn. They don't need to be at our campuses. Uh, and, that's, and that offering, we marketed into Africa. So, so we've marketed it into Ethiopia, Kenya, Nigeria, Ghana. Um, and as we sit today, we've got uh, many learners from, in, from inside Africa learning on our learning platform. So, so to answer your question, we've already expanded into Africa, and we, we certainly plan to do that in a big way. I mean, our, our, again, our, you know, our product is, is very affordable compared to global ones, uh, and that positions us well into Africa. Now, with the current uh, pandemic uh, that we are facing globally, would you say that uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has accelerated the need for data science solutions uh, in businesses? So, so definitely. So, so before that, it's accelerated you know, digital transformation and digital solutions, of which data science is a key component. So we found that both our learning solutions and our consulting solutions, the demand for them has increased dramatically, you know, double, triple. Um, and yeah, I guess it's I guess it's driven off of uh, companies needing to be much more efficient now uh, with with these economic uh, uh, troubles, and you know data science is, is, is a means to 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 build efficiency and to solve big problems, right? So so absolutely, COVID, uh, despite being a horrible traumatic moment, uh, has really sort of accelerated our business opportunities. Uh, yes, thank you so much, uh, Sean, for joining us uh, this morning on uh, Africa Rise and Shine. Brilliant. Thanks for having me. And that's Explore Group founder and CEO Sean Tipnell joining us on the line. WHO recommends 30 minutes of physical activity a day for adults and one hour a day for children. If your local or national guidelines allow it, go outside for a walk, a run or a ride and keep a safe distance from others. If you can't leave the house, find an exercise video online, dance to music, do some yoga, or walk up and down the stairs. Avoid touching your eyes, nose and mouth to slow the spread of the coronavirus. For more information on the coronavirus, visit the World Health Organization site at www.who.int. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. There's nothing good about alcohol alcohol is destructive alcohol destroys families alcohol destroys life alcohol contributes to unprotected sex and spreading of diseases alcohol contributes to domestic violence abuse of children and women channel africa africa rise and shine Africa, Zorza, Africa, Amuka, Na Unai. You are still tuned in to Africa Rise and Shine with myself, Teddy Sibiaracho on Channel Africa. Should you wish to send us any comments or questions on today's show, please do send us an email to info at channelafrica.co.za. You can also send us a WhatsApp message to plus two seven seven six three double zero double three 
0815-2727. Also, you can just follow us across all our social media platforms, Facebook at Channel Africa, on Twitter at Channel Africa 1. Public dissatisfaction with incidents of violence and extortion by police officers during the enforcement of COVID-19 regulations could be a watershed moment for the country to transform the South African Police Service. These have been the views of academics from the University of KwaZulu-Natal during a webinar on the respect for citizen rights and police carrying out their duties. Tries Lebendor reports. I believe that I am a um, law-abiding citizen. However, if I am driving on the road and I get stopped by a policeman, immediately I have fear and panic. It's almost like what did I do? And yet I know I'm law-abiding, but the fear. University of KwaZulu-Natal gender specialist Professor Bronwyn Anderson expressed how she says many South Africans feel about the current police force, especially around how police brutality during the enforcement of the lockdown is clashing with the rights of citizens. Another University of KwaZulu-Natal academic Professor Sadana Manik says the Human Rights Commission is investigating 10 citizen deaths that allegedly took place at the hands of police officers during the lockdown. Manik, however, says police brutality has been a long-standing trend. I put, the police watchdog reveals that more than 42,000 complaints have been made about the police between 2012 and 2019. These include rape, killings, torture. That's an average of 5,250 complaints annually. Anderson says that 2,300 cases of gender-based violence have been reported to the police during the lockdown, but that only 169 people have been charged for the crimes. She says women who are struggling financially generally find themselves in a triple bind. They are unaware of their rights, forced to be locked up with their abuser and fearing being infected with COVID-19 if she leaves the home. A woman is supposed to report an act of violence by her husband, her partner or anybody else in the midst of other people, in full view of other people. How does that, how is that allowed to happen? Why is the woman not taken to a private space where she can report this kind of violence? So there's this extreme lack of sensitivity. Head of the Police's Unit for Vulnerable Groups and Victim Empowerment, Mbali Mnadi, says police training does address how to deal with victim sensitivity and understanding the social context. She is calling on members of the public to report police transgressions to management at the police stations in question. She says if misconduct is not reported, police cannot take the necessary disciplinary action against offending officers. Actually, a number of stations you will see right on the wall already. There is the number of the uh, 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 station commander. You may even... Uh, call them, or you just simply stand your ground and say, I need to speak to the relief commander, to whoever is in charge here today. 
Manik has suggested a number of ways in which policing can be transformed, including CCTV cameras inside community service centers. There needs to be an evaluation by every person that enters the police station about the way in which they were treated and attended to. The very same way that when you walk into a bank, they tell you within 30 seconds, within two minutes, within five minutes, you will be dealt with, okay? But here I'm talking about feedback should be given at the police station. Manik and Anderson say South Africa has an opportunity in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic to build a police service that people trust. I'm Dries Liebenberg in Durban. The community of Atchardville, west of South Africa's capital city of Pretoria, where late veteran broadcaster Bob Mabana grew up, has remembered him as a vibrant, talented and intelligent individual. Mabana, whose career spans over three decades, passed away on Monday following a short illness. Pumzilam Langini reports. The late TV and radio broadcaster Bob Mabena has always had the ability to entertain and command attention. That's according to Cynthia Mope, a teacher at Mabena's former school, Soul Ridge High. Mope says it was always clear that Mabena would pursue this line of work due to his interests at school. He was very interested in debate. He was in the main debating team of the school. And also because he used to love music, he used to conduct some learners during our extramural activities, during the athletic sessions or during our soccer matches. He used to be there just to motivate the, the players of the athletes. Many in the industry have described him as a patient and a great mentor to up-and-coming talent. His passion for mentorship would also see him going back to his former school where he would give motivational talks to learners. He serves as a motivation to us due to this COVID-19 this year. He is the one who's motivating us to do even better, to achieve more in life. But then having someone like Bob Mabena reach such a successful life, I would say like that in a way motivates all of us as the youth of Archidville and as the youth of all public schools so that we can all achieve greater things in life. In order to make it in life, it's not about where you came from, but it's about where you are headed and then the passion that you have for everything that you do. Thelma Maimani, Mabena's neighbor, who later became his Africans teacher, says she would always call to the radio giant for neglecting his schoolwork for DJing gigs at a local club. Maimani says Bob was affectionately known as Apollo in the neighborhood after being born on the same year as Apollo 11, the space flight that first landed humans on the moon in 1969. It really showed Hore. This person is going to go very far in life. So that's how we know Polo. We will always know him as Polo and not as Bob Mabena. And he was very intelligent and an outgoing person. Meanwhile, Ndebele King Makosoke Mabena II also expressed condolences, saying Mabena's untimely passing is a huge loss to the industry. I am Pumzilim Langeni in Pretoria. South Africa's power utility, ESCOM, has announced that it will implement stage 2 load shedding starting at 8 a.m. this morning as breakdowns increase. ESCOM says uh, due to the increase in generation unit breakdowns and will continue until 10 p.m. this evening to Dongobeni compile this report. 
The power utility has been warning of the power system being severely constrained in the past few days due to five generation units returned to service being delayed and two more having shut or tripped. Power cuts were last implemented 27 days ago. While load shedding has been suspended in the last 27 days, ESCOM has been implementing load reduction in some parts of the country. The Southern African nation's power utility has been struggling over the last few years to keep the lights on. Spokesperson at ESCOM, Sikonati Manchancha, explains. ESCOM regrets informing the country that starting from 8 this morning, we will have to implement load shedding stage 2. This is due to the increase in breakdowns overnight and and this morning. We will be implementing stage 2 load shedding as we have had additional breakdowns uh, overnight. Manchester says the breakdowns are at Duba, Tutuka, Creel and Kendall. The load shedding that will be implemented this morning at stage 2 level has been caused by an increase in breakdowns or in plant breakdowns overnight. We now have uh, just over 17,500 megawatt capacity of breakdowns that uh, is both on planned and unplanned service. Uh, uh, We we, we have breakdowns at Tutuba, at Duba, at Grill, at the Matimba power station. All of these have added to the pressure on the system where we have no choice but to implement stage 2 loading shedding starting at 8 this morning. The power utility has urged the South African public to reduce electricity usage in order to help minimize load shedding. ESCOM has assured the country that implementing load shedding was a last resort in order to protect the national grid. That spokesperson at South Africa's power utility ESCOM and for Channel Africa, I am Tutongobeni in Johannesburg. This is Africa Rise and Shine on Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. Should you wish to give us a comment or questions, please do send us an email to info at But for now, let us cross over to Tabiso Lhoko for the economics news. Good morning. United States dairy farmers want unfettered access of their milk products to the Kenyan market in the proposed free trade agreement between Nairobi and Washington, which could have far-reaching implications on Kenya's milk farmers. Kenya recently introduced a 10% import levy on dairy products to protect the local industry from unfair competition. Kenya and the U.S. formally launched negotiations last month for a bilateral agreement that the two economies hope could serve as a model for additional agreements across the African continent. The U.S.-China trade war debacle 
is not the only action between the two superpowers. This, as the U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo said, China's economic power makes it a more difficult foe to deal with than the Soviet Union during the Cold War. Relations between the U.S. and China have deteriorated recently. Speaking on a visit to the Czech Republic, Pompeo urged the countries to resist the influence of the Chinese Communist Party. What's happening now isn't Cold War 2.0. The challenge of resisting the CCP threat is in some ways much more difficult. That's because the CCP has already enmeshed in our economies, in our politics, in our societies in ways the Soviet Union never was. And Beijing is not likely to change course in the near future, although one lives in hope. Brussels has welcomed the decision by Washington not to increase the amount of goods subjected to tariffs as part of a dispute between the European Union and the United States over their respective subsidies to the aircraft's company Boeing and Airbus. EU spokesperson said the impact of the current economic slowdown on the air travel sector provided a particular urgency to resolving the row. The BBC's Jonathan Josephs reports. Last year, Washington scored a victory at the World Trade Organization, which allowed it to impose tariffs on $7.5 billion worth of stuff it buys from across the Atlantic. The EU has welcomed the decision not to escalate the tensions, and both sides have renewed their commitment to finding a compromise to this economically damaging row. But the pressure is on, with a WTO decision on retaliatory tariffs from Europe expected in the coming months. The European Union has agreed memoranda of understanding with eight non-EU partners to help their businesses limit the economic fallout of the coronavirus pandemic. The MOU have already been agreed with Albania, Georgia, Jordan, Kosovo, Moldova, Montenegro, North Macedonia and Ukraine. Four of them, namely Kosovo, Moldova, North Macedonia and Ukraine, have formally signed the documents. The money for each partner is linked to specific actions such as strengthening public finance and the resilience of the financial sector, improving governance and fighting corruption, enhancing social protection and addressing youth unemployment. Regional Lender Equity Group has completed the acquisition of a majority stake in the Congolese lender Bank Commercial Congo at a discounted price of 95 million US dollars. This makes Equity Group the second largest commercial bank in the Democratic Republic of Congo. According to reports in September last year, Equity announced it had agreed with the majority shareholder George Arthur Forrest and family to acquire all the shares owned by the Belgian entrepreneur at a cost of 105 million US dollars. The US dollar is trading at 378.87 Nigerian Nara, 11.54 Botswana Pula, 107.38 Kenyan Shilling and 18.37 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, we'll start in Brazil. One US dollar there costs 5 41 in Russia, 73 rubles of 42 in India, 74 rupees 59 in China. A dollar is changing hands at 6 yuan 94 and and in South Africa, it will cost you 17 Rand uh, 45. The US dollar 
is also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and 84 cents to euro. Looking at commodities now, gold $1,944, platinum at $934 per ounce. The price of Brent crude oil is at $45.30 a barrel. Economic update. Africa, rise and shine. Africa, Zorka. Africa, Amuka na Unai. That wraps up Africa, rise and shine for today. From myself, Teddy CBA producer, Luanda Maume, technical producer, Sviso Mashiho, and the rest of the Africa, rise and shine team. Thank you for listening. For comments on the show, please do send us an email at info at channelafrica.co.za or a WhatsApp message to plus two seven seven six three double zero double three two seven. Tweet us at Channel Africa One. Taking us to the top of the hour for the news is Tato Yahao by Leo Sikobel.